Welcome to the Rod and Arrow Outdoors podcast, where expert advice becomes real results. At RNA, we are public land hunters that love to share our passion of the outdoors. So join us and our pro staff team as we speak with experts in the industry to share insight and knowledge to help make hunters more successful. Welcome back, listeners, to the Rod Narrow Outdoors podcast, where all things are hunting, fishing, in the outdoors. This is episode number six, broadcasting to you from Boise, Idaho, where we featured Mike Hicks, and we spoke specifically in part one, episode number five, uh, about fly tying. So, um, you know, really around uh, a lot of the gear required to do that, to kind of start from the ground level and then progress into a more intricate system. Some of the uh, details around different pieces of equipment required to do that uh, and so forth. Uh, In episode number six, which is the part two of the two-part series, we get into a little more detail around some of the hatches that occur based on specific times of the year. So I give Mike some scenarios, you know, hey, it's July and we're, we're fishing on the Boise River uh, so he provides, you know, some detail and content behind uh, fly choices uh, based on, you know, the time of year, the hatches that occur uh, in the areas uh, that he fish. So, uh, you know, Mike's a wealth of knowledge. Uh, he's been fly tying for many years. He's been fly fishing for many years uh, and can just provide a plethora of information uh, to the listeners out there. Um, you know, they're interested in doing more of their own DIY uh, fly fishing. Uh, in addition to that, uh, if you're interested in wanting to maybe start um, tying your own flies, uh, Mike would be a great resource uh, to kind of help you get started and understand, again, some of the equipment necessary to do that. Uh, again, it's relatively inexpensive to get started. Uh, and uh, I think it's the rewarding piece is, you know, when you land that fish on a fly that you tied, I don't think there's anything probably more rewarding uh, than doing that in a fly fisherman's mind. So with that, we're going to turn it over to episode number six, part two series with Mike Hicks. Uh, Hope you enjoy the episode. Just speaking in addition to hatches, have you found it better? So if you had one time to fish, okay, and it was the prime time season, you know, I'm going to say September maybe, right? Maybe we'll start getting into some of the spawning activities. Would you rather fish a morning, midday action, or an evening action? What In your mind, in August or September, maybe later when we start getting into the fall, water temperatures start cooling a little bit, what's the best time of day, in your opinion, to fish? Mornings and evenings. Okay. Yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of bug activity first thing in the morning. It'll die down in the heat of the day and pick back up again in the evening. And if you had to pick a morning or an evening... Oh, that's tough. Probably based on experience, have you had better luck fishing first thing in the morning till 8, 10 o'clock or fishing, you know, that late evening, 6 to 8 o'clock before the sun goes down? I would say the majority of the time you're better off, if you have to pick one, you're better off in the morning. Um, probably less than 20% of the time that evening hatch. I mean, the evening hatch can be a lot of fun, but it's usually pretty short. Yeah, it's a window. Yeah. It's a really narrow window. Yeah. I was going to say the same thing. So I've spent a lot of time when I was in college in Butte on the Big Hole, um, anywhere between um, like notch bottoms all the way up to, 
I mean, every basically anywhere there, all the way up to Wise River area, and uh, <laughs> being a college student, getting up at uh, you know six a.m. wasn't always the the thing right. to do. But we always knew the mornings that we got up early and hit the river. It was on because yep. you're exactly right. In the the late evenings on the big hole, the problem with the big hole is is it gets warm. We get the hoot owl restrictions because the water temperatures get in the you know sixty to seventy degree temperatures. Oh, and wow. yeah, and it's bad because the fish, the, the, well, the fishing game shut down in, in the unit three area. A lot of the fishing, but typically first thing in the morning, you could always get out there, right as the sun's creeping up, and you start to see some of those hatches happening. And you know, for me, I'm not much of a bug guy, but you know, I've got about ten cases of flies. I'm starting to look at the fly, and you know, hatching on the top of the service, and I'm looking. Okay, that one looks a lot like it. Yeah, that's about a size twelve, fourteen. Tie it up and make it happen, but. We were always much more successful first thing in the morning than hanging it out late in the evening. Um, so one of the biggest fish I caught on the big hole um, was just above Dewey, uh, and it was about uh, I would say probably six thirty, six forty-five in the morning, uh, and uh, I kept casting. We were casting actually from the bank because it was a narrow stretch of the big hole, and I didn't want to get too much in the water because I didn't want to startle the fish. So I was sitting there and I was just hammer in this corner pool from across the other side of the river and I kept felt I, I could feel my line bumping and I just kept it bumping and bumping and I could see a little you know movement action in that uh-huh. corner and I just kept just basically um, just roll casting back into that area because I was on the bank I didn't have a lot of room to, to get a good cast and uh, finally that brown hammered that thing and I remember when he hit that I remember stripping back and I remember watching my pole literally bend over almost <laughs> into a 180 and uh, probably after about 15 minutes, I finally wore him out, and uh, I got him in the net. And uh, he was about uh, 20, 26 inch brown, um, oh, just bright, bright red color, just a beautiful fish. And uh, that was a lot of fun. That was it's a heck of a lot of fun. But I've always been one to catch and release. You know, I've uh-huh. I've always been. You know, I enjoy um, you know eating fish, but to me, the sport is really getting out there and you know. Yeah, respecting the fish and and giving the fish the best you know um, survivability rate to continue to live. Yeah, I would agree with you there. I, I probably ninety nine percent of the time I fish catch and release. Yeah, it's just about getting it done. Yeah, absolutely. Well, a lot of it's to me is, you know, we say conservation. Conservation is you know protecting what we have now so we can have it later in life, right? So, but yep. a lot really for our not only us but for our kids. But with fish, it's it is conservation because, you know, most people I know do catch and release. Most uh-huh. people don't go out there to catch fish to put them on the grill. Right. They go out there to catch them because it is a sport uh, and they respect the animal and they and they, they return it to its natural habitat. Mm-hmm. So I think that's really cool. Okay. So look, that's kind of enough of the, the fly tying. And let's talk really about fishing and kind of the passion that you and I both have. So, you know, you've lived in Idaho from it. Were you born and raised in Idaho? Yep. Absolutely. So... So you've been here many years uh, and understand a lot of the rivers and streams. Um, but with the thought of Idaho, I mean, what, and without giving up your honey holes, because that's not <laughs> what we do on these podcasts, but um, we will get your information at the end. So if anyone has questions, they'll be able to get a hold of you. But if you were to only be able to fish one river or one stream in Idaho for the rest, let's say you only get one place to fish ever again, Right. What stream or, or what river to you 
uh, is that place in your heart that holds kind of home for, for fly fishing in Idaho? My very favorite, I would have to say, is the Yankee Fork that feeds into the Salmon River up above Stanley. Um, not because the fishing is anything spectacular. I mean, it's good. Don't get me wrong. It's really, really good. There's some steelhead run up there. There's some beautiful, beautiful rainbows up there. Um, it's just the area. I mean, there is nothing like wading upstream. I, I like to uh, wet fish when I, when I fly fish. I don't particularly care for waders. You know, I just like to throw, I mean, I look like a hillbilly out there. I throw on my jeans and an old pair of tennis shoes and let her fly. And I, I'm, I think you have been up there before, and I'm here to tell you, at the end of July, that water feels like it's about two minutes off a glacier. It is cold. Yeah. But you're standing in that river bottom, and it's nothing but granite on either side of you. It's just so awe-inspiring. Yeah. You know, lots of wildlife there, and not a lot of people. Yeah, the Sawtooths are, if you've never seen the Sawtooth Mountains out of Stanley, Idaho, that's something I think that should be on everybody's bucket list. Even if you're not an outdoorsman or someone that, um, you know, respects, you know, uh, the outdoors, that is that is just a scene to be seen while you're standing out on the Salmon River in Stanley, looking back to the south and seeing those mountains. It's it's an amazing place. Yeah, they're, they're steep. I, you know, for... for Hopefully you've got some listeners out on the East Coast that are living vicariously through us right now. <laughs> you know, I remember the first time I went to Manhattan, I spent so much time looking up because I'd never seen buildings like that. That's like being in the canyon in the Yankee Fork, except it's mountains. Yeah. You can't hardly see the sky because the mountains are so tall. It's yeah. almost... It's, for it's us, like it's not a bad problem to have. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that's kind of your river or stream. If you had to pick one species that in your time of fishing that, you know, has enriched you the most or has been the most exhilarating species of fish to fish, what species of fish would that be? Oh, boy. That's tough. They Maybe all it's their, your top three. Their, their little qualities. Um, of course, I love rainbow trout. I mean, they fight good. They fight hard. They're fun fish to catch. Um, I got the opportunity to go up to Alaska, and I did some fly fishing for grayling. And I know everybody wants to go there and catch an 80-pound king and on and on and on. I tell you what, I would go up there again just to fish for grayling. They are so fast and so active. It was, that's some of the most fun I've ever had was fly fishing for grayling. You have got to have your A game on. They are so quick. Pretty big fish too, right? I mean, can In Alaska, get, they're pretty yeah, big. Yeah. We have a few planters down here in Idaho, and I've never seen anything bigger than 8 or 10 inches. But I caught a couple 17-inch grayling on the Chena, or Chena River in uh, just above Fairbanks. And they're, they're fun. They're yeah. fighters. They go, go, yeah. go, go. Alaska's a whole different world. I, I've never been to Alaska, but you've went multiple times. And you've been able to fish multiple places there in Alaska. And How does Alaska compare to, I guess, your backyard here in Idaho? I mean, you... You can go in 10 minutes and fish the Boise River and catch fish. I mean, that, that's probably one of the best rivers to learn how to catch a fish on just because there's so many different species of fish there. But yep. how does how does fishing here in Idaho compare to being in Alaska? Um, you really, the only difference is the population of people. You know, I mean, I mean, the fishing is the fishing. The fly patterns are the same, believe it or not. The techniques are the same. There was just a lot less pressure up there. You could fish for a couple miles and not see another person. You know, you're not worried about encroaching on anybody's, 
you know, little spot. And, you know, I enjoy the scenery as much as I enjoy the fishing. So when you're in somewhere undisturbed and, you know, a couple moose come walking by, I mean, it just doesn't get better than that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know some buddies that have been up there salmon fishing and, uh, you know, they're sitting there salmon fishing, you know, 50 yards from a thousand pound grizzly bear, you know, that's sitting there getting his own meal as these fish are trying to get upstream and spawning. I, that's an experience I want to experience. I, I've never been to Alaska, but it's definitely on my bucket list. And yeah. that's something I want to do is, is have that experience just to see what it's like. I mean, those fish, I mean, it's crazy to think that, you know, those fish start out, you know, in that area, they make it all the way out to the ocean, down the Southern coast of the Pacific They'll hang out there for a year or two, and then they head back up to that same spot to, to spawn again. It's it's amazing to think that that life cycle of how they live and the amount of mileage that they put on, mm-hmm. it's pretty amazing that the fish still are in that 80-pound range, you know, like the kings, yeah. when they get back to Alaska after all the stress and stuff that they've been through. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's way cool. Okay. Um, so... Let's talk a little about steelhead fishing. So okay. you've done some steelhead fishing in your life. I've done uh, some steelhead. I've, you know, confession time, I've never fly fished for steelhead yet. That's on my bucket list. I got a, I got a friend of mine who's a, a guide on the clear water. And uh, he, I don't know whether it's affectionate or not, he refers to me as the bug flipper. So there's um, got to be a story behind yeah, that. Yeah, well, he says, he says, well, if you want fish, get on my boat. You know, if you want to go flip bugs, go flip bugs. You know, and and it's all in good fun. He's a, sure. He also fly fishes, too. but uh, They're out there to catch fish, though. I mean, yeah. You know, I mean, that's his job. He's out there to hook people up and, and yeah. make sure they go home happy. Um, steelhead is, uh, my, my attraction to that is it's a different type of fly fishing. Uh, you really need to get into the... Not that you can't do it on a single-handed eight or nine weight, but uh, to really get into it, you know, and again, we're talking about the art form of it. You're going to need to get into the spay rod and the switch rods and learn how to do some of these 200 casts. And, you know, it's, to me, that's like the whole, everybody points out a river runs through it, you know. And, yeah. Ooh, I want to look like that guy. I want to be um, Brad Pitt yeah. on the Bitterhead or, yeah, on the yeah, it's, Blackfoot that they're on. Good luck casting like that, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't try. Sure. You know? And when you see somebody who's really adept with a spay rod, you know, I mean, it's a pretty sight. It is really pretty. I mean, they're slinging some line, and uh, yeah, that's that's uh, definitely on my short list sooner rather than later. To, yeah. So to unf- figure that unfortunately, out. we we were working on a plan to do that. I'm actually heading up tomorrow to Orofino to do some steelhead fishing on the Clearwater, uh, but. We're going to get a trip in at some point together. It just the the timing this year didn't work out. But um, based on timing, so I mean, guys are catching B run steelhead right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're catching twenty pounders right now. How do those fish differ than the steelhead that? I mean, I've been up in Stanley on the salmon, the uh-huh. fork of the salmon, and caught steelhead in February and March. Right? What? How are the what what's different versus the steelhead now versus the ones in three to four more months? So the the bee run fish that you're talking about, they're kind of a unique breed of steelhead that um, my understanding is is specific to the clear water, and that breed of steelhead stays out in the ocean one year longer than the rest of them. So they have that 
additional year to gain some size and weight and get a little bit bigger. Okay. And, uh, you know, I mean, they've all got to come up to the Columbia. That's still, you know, we talked about this last night. That just, that seems, you know, I always think of the, anytime I, I picture that, I think of the Bugs Bunny cartoon when he comes out of his little hole and he says, oh, I made a wrong turn at Albuquerque. <laughs> it's like, if you take a right, you go down the snake. If you take a left, you go up to Clearwater. It's like, how do some of these guys not take the right by axe and take that wrong turn at Albuquerque? But yeah, they don't. They just, they, <laughs> it's amazing. They get yeah. that far inland and, and go there. But um, yeah, that's that's the biggest difference between the bee run and everything else. And yeah, they're, they're, I mean, they're a rainbow trout correct. that is not landlocked, essentially. They right. they spend time out in the ocean. The, what they refer to as the A-run steelhead, I think, go out for about a year and then bust back in. But yeah, the B-run steelhead, it's another year or two that they'll spend out in the ocean until they come back up because um, they are Andromedas, so they will come back to that location that they were born to spawn in. But uh, I've just been fishing through some of the uh, the social media on, on the Clearwater and the size of fish that they're catching right now. And a lot of them are, you know, they're just back trolling, so they're hanging out using, you know, plugs and bait balls, other, you know, different types of back trolling rigs and shrimp rigs, and they're hammering fish. I mean, they've got some of the some of the um, fishing reports I've seen where guys have four to five in possession, and of course they can only keep two, but... Yeah. Um, when you're calling on a you know a 16, oh, I'm going to keep this 18 pounder versus 16 pounder. That's a good day on the clear water. That's a very good day. I that's mean, a very good day if you're salmon fishing, you know, in a story at the mouth of the Columbia. I mean, that's that's a nice fish. That's a good haul. It's a big day. Yeah. They're they hit hard. I don't know why they hit so much harder on that river than anywhere else. Maybe that's just me wanting to think they do. They hit hard. Yeah. They better hang on. And, of course, this year is, uh, I believe, the last report I saw is estimated to be the third third biggest run in history. So, well, it's, that's fishing. Yeah. When it's on, it's on. When it's, it's on, not, baby. It's yeah. not. Absolutely. I've got a little confession. I was, uh, when we steelhead fished up in salmon, I think it was in 2011, because I was looking at my last three-day uh, steelhead license I had, and it was 2011. We... We fished up uh, in Stanley right off of the... So up in Stanley would be what fork of the salmon? Is that the middle fork of the salmon uh, the middle Stanley? F- middle the middle the fork will be dumping in. The south fork will be running through Stanley. Okay, yeah. yeah. So we were fishing just above Stanley, and my brother-in-law's got a little honey hole spot there. And uh, so we're fishing, and the kids are catching fish, and um, we're kind of getting the technique down. And next thing you know, I turn over, and I'm looking, and... There's my wife who has her pole completely bent over, angled, and I'm seeing this fish just peeling line out. And <laughs> we're spin casting. We're not fly fishing. And, and I'm seeing him, and this is February, right? Um, so we started that morning, and we, we actually had to get off the river because our line was freezing to the top of the river. It was so cold. We came back about mid-morning, and so here she is, and, and she is just angling this fish, and I'm seeing it just swimming off, and I'm Okay, so there goes the main line. Okay, there's the backing. So I'm watching this progression happen. So she's out in water. Of course, she's you know she's only you know five foot five, five foot six, and she's in probably three and a half to four feet of water, and she's starting to get up into that chest area, and this fish is just pulling her. And I'm thinking if you know if she doesn't make a move, she's going to lose this fish. So um, my brother-in-law, her brother, gets out there, and they start hammering on this thing, and so I'm on the bank watching this thing happen, and I'm watching her fight 
this steelhead and uh we finally got that thing in the net and uh it was just the brightest beautiful red steelhead i'd ever seen 34 inches long and uh that dwarfed the uh the 24 and the 26 incher that i caught so this will be sweet revenge for me this weekend because <laughs> she's she's caught a bigger steelhead than i have and that it was a it was a it was a native fish so we didn't keep any of the fish that we caught up there but um just an absolutely beautiful fish yeah. um, probably one of the most beautiful fish i've ever seen out of the water a lot know. of color yeah but it was a that was a fun trip we had a really good time um i bet we all caught three or four steelhead that day a couple smaller ones but um just a lot of fun i mean there's nothing and you're right there's nothing like when you feel that hit and it's on right because i was fishing with my nephew and i was floating this rock and i kept pushing this lured by this rock finally when i felt that thing hit when i got him on i handed him i handed him over the reel i said all right buddy let's go and so we had the we had the drag set and that thing just took him away we never did end up recovering that fish but just a lot of fun yeah. steelhead fishing yeah some just, of those i'd be like cooking the you know catching the tail hook on a fighter jet i mean he just can't even imagine the power until they go it's hang like, on huh uh-oh <laughs> yeah yeah, so we're going about our this trip that I'm going on. I'm meeting uh, my brother and taking my other nephew. We're we're kind of doing a DIY, um, a do-it-yourself trip, which is really the spirit of Rod and Arrow Outdoors. That's kind of what we're about: is DIY fishing, DIY hunting, trying to do a lot of things on our own. But you know, you've you've done some guided trips, uh-huh. and I know um, you've sh- you've sent me some pictures uh, of fish that you've caught guided, and um, you know, for a newcomer that say. You know, he's done some fishing, but wants to go to Orofino and wants to go steelhead fishing. If someone came to you and asked you, what would be your recommendation? What should I do? What you would know, you tell them? You know, if they don't if they don't have the experience doing it, um, most people, you know, other than present company included here yourself, you know, I mean, you're a real go-getter. Most people, I would recommend that they do a guided trip just so they can see how it's done. You know, even, you know, take it, nod your head a lot, take a lot of notes figure it out you know you're like okay i see what they're doing here because there's a there's always a method to the madness these guys are professionals for a reason there's always tips and tricks you know and uh then strike out on your own you know if uh if it's just trout like i said fishing for steelhead is not like just going out and fishing for a rainbow or brookies or anything else it's a little bit different technique um but yeah if you've got that in you to go for it go for it yeah you know yeah I mean, a bad day fish, it's better than a good day doing much of anything else. Absolutely so. <laughs> it is. Yeah, there's there's really nothing wrong with yeah, going out and spending a, day, Go for it. spending a day on the river. And even if you strike out and don't catch anything, just the experiences that you have and, and the things that you learn. I think that's really what it's about. Is It's about the adventures versus mm-hmm. um, the other experiences. But, yeah, there's, there's something to be said about that. I'm looking at some flies right now that, um, that you went and helped me out with. So I, I'm a bit of a... a a novice myself when it comes i mean i've done some steelhead fishing but when it comes to fly fishing this will be you know somewhat of a new experience for me as well but i'm looking at this array of flies that uh you were helping me out with and i see a lot of pinks i see a lot of purples is there a rhyme or reason to that or those pinks and purples for whatever reason steelhead seem to absolutely love again different species are they like different things and some species on different rivers like different things and i don't know what it is about the pinks and the purples 
Um, but that seems to drive the steelhead insane, which is pretty much what you're doing when you're fly fishing for a steelhead. You're essentially pissing them off. Yeah. And they, they're very territorial and they don't like it and they go after it and try to eliminate it. Yeah. There's some skunk butts here. Uh Looks like we've got some, some type of steelhead mutter and then the leeches. The, The leeches are interesting because they don't look like a very technical fly to tie. Super easy. But so effective. Very effective. For for steelhead fishing. Yeah, egg sucking leech is really, really, really effective. Um, I particularly like that in these areas, like on the on the main fork of the Boise River here. Uh, steelhead don't run up it, so they plant a lot of the steelhead. And the when they plant them in a non-native river like that, it's kind of like they don't know what to do. So they don't actually travel very far. They might only travel a mile or two up or downstream. And in that scenario, the egg-sucking leeches, again, I, steelhead fishing is not my forte when it comes to fly fishing. But uh, I have heard through the grapevine, and that has been my experience a few times I've steelheaded on the main fork of the Boise, um, the egg-sucking leech is a very productive fly on these kind of dropped-off and planted fish. Uh-huh. Um, but they'll work anywhere. It's just a great pattern. Yeah. it's. I mean, it's in its simplicity, there's not a whole lot there. But it's yeah. amazing that every fishing report that you read or you talk to some of the local guides, that's typically in their top five yep. of their fly box. Yep. But again, it's, it's a woolly bugger with a bubble on the top. Yeah. That's you all know, it is. Learn how to tie the woolly bugger. It's simple. It's not... It is not hard to do, but you've got a little bit of all the techniques. That's why most instructors that you will see will start you off with a woolly bugger. You learn how to do hackle. You learn what chenille is. You learn how to make a tail out of marabou, maybe put some flash on it. Very, very simple, but everybody wants to move on and get, like I did, I want to do the royal wolf. But you know what? I probably tie more woolly buggers than any other single fly in my box. Yeah. Because they are an effective fly. Yeah. Well, like you said, if there's any fly you want on your side you were talking about that all over that chartreuse bugger that yep. seems to be one of the if, yeah if i had to pick only okay so we'll take this another step which which river would i fish if i only had you give me one wet fly and one dry fly the wet fly will be the woolly bugger hands down in any specific color would it be chartreuse or would it be black or olive or i would take that in any color okay you know if i can only have one fly i any, would take that okay. in any color okay you know, um, chartreuse and olive are probably my favorite. Um, dry fly, I would have to go with either a humpy or an elk hair caddis. Humpy's kind of like the woolly bugger. It doesn't look like anything, but it can imitate everything. Yeah. You can use it on a drake hatch. You can use it on, on a uh, caddis hatch. You can... <laughs> yeah. They're just... It's just an effective pattern. Devastatingly simple, too. Yeah. It's tough when you when you ask people that like if there was if you could only do you know one more thing or you could only have one more of these you know it's like for me when I'm thinking dry flies I'm thinking of the amount of hits I've had on you know Royal Coachman we talked about uh-huh. Royal Coachman to, to to start out the show um, you know Parachute Adams is another one with that just bright white yep um, you know and then I think of the elk hair caddis I, I would probably be more leaning towards the elk hair caddis. Just from the simple fact that it makes a great 
dry fly, but it also, a lot of times, 99% of the time, if I'm going to do any type of dropper scenario, I usually Bingo. have an elk hair caddis because you don't need a lot of gink or anything on them to keep them afloat. They're, right. they're great. They have great water characteristics and they stay afloat. Yeah. And plus uh, it's an elk hair. I mean, is there any other, is there any other fly that's better that, that it has elk hair in it? Right. Exactly. Yeah. I was, I was just going to comment as that, as you were talking, I was going to say, you know, that's, that is probably one of the single best things about an elk hair caddis is it's high visibility. And if you want to run a dropper, you just about can't get a better fly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, one of the things I noticed here is we're both out of wine and <laughs> we've, uh, we've kind of been spoiled a little bit because, uh, we came up from the uh, central coast of California and we have a few decent wineries down there. And we brought up some wine that we've shared with, with Mike and his wife before, as they've come down and visit. So we cracked a few of those and then you cracked open a sawtooth, a sawtooth. sawtooth winery. That was an excellent bottle of wine. They're an excellent winery. This is, this is one of my uh, favorite varieties from there. They're uh, Carmenier. I'll give them a little plug and their Tempranillo. If you can find it is probably just as good. Yeah, no, it's been, the wine has been great. I mean, the day's been great. I mean, is there any other better day than Thanksgiving to just sit back and and eat yeah. food, watch football, prime rib, fellowship, three football games? Yeah, the prime wine. rib was. I, I'm gonna have to post a photo of that prime rib. We can take a fly on it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we could do that. So as we kind of close, I just want to recap a little bit, um, thinking about you know just some of the stuff we heard today, and you know I want to thank you for for being on the show today. Sure, my pleasure. I learned a lot of different things that I, I guess I didn't know. Like, you know, I was thinking when I, when I asked you the question, you know, how many flies do you tie? You know, it's not that many, but no. when I think about it, you, you tie, I'm sure a very quality fly that you don't need to tie many of them because they're going to last you. And I think the takeaway for me today is, is, you know, when I go to, cause typically when I come in in September, I'll, I'll always stop at Bob Ward's or somewhere and pick up my license and, or, you know, Cabela's or depending on where I fly in one of the sporting stores and I always go to their fly section and I'll see yeah you can get uh you know 12 flies a dozen flies for five bucks you know and I'm thinking where can you buy a dozen flies for five bucks and I'm of course I'm looking at some of them and you can see um a lot of them are different they're not consistent right I'm looking right. at a BWO at this at the size of a 16 and they all look a little different in the same thing so I for me, it tells me that there's a reason why there's two different types and sections of flies. There's the get a dozen for five bucks, and then there's get one for three dollars. And clearly, the amount of time and intricacy that goes into tying one fly is the reason why, and the quality why some of those flies are priced that the way they're priced. You know, you're right there. And one thing that we didn't talk about um, are hatches and colors. So. The difference with some of these cheaper flies and the more expensive is that consistency that you're talking about. Now, most of the time, you know, and of course, if you get on the websites and you read the magazines, you know, you need to match the hatch and you need to blah, blah, blah. 99% of the time, uh, maybe not 99, but I'd say well over 90% of the time, that's bull. Um, a lot of streams I've been on, it, the hatch didn't matter as long as my colors were right. I've used elk hair caddis where there wasn't a caddis around, but they wanted to see that yellow. I just threw out anything yellow and they'll hit it. Hmm. You know, and, and yeah. that being said, I've been on other water where 
the color was right, but the, the size wasn't right. So you had to get the size. And, and I've been in scenarios where as long as I had the right size, you know, if I'm seeing, you know, size 14, you know, midges out there or mayflies, if I'm in a 14, I'm pretty good, you know, anywhere from, you know, a dark olive all the way to a black or, you know, occasionally, uh, you know, a yellow. It's, they're matching the size. Now, there are a few rivers I've been on that it is absolutely true that you need to match the hatch. Um, one prime example, just as we cross the border on the Owyhee River, monster browns. You're talking 30 plus inch browns. There's a lot of pressure on that river. Um, I don't like fishing it for the fact that there's not a lot of holes on there. And it's, you know, it's, it's almost... Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to date myself here. It's kind of like going to the arcade when I was a kid and everybody wanted on the pool table and you had to line up your quarters, you know, and, yep. and wait your turn. I remember those days. That's about how it is on the Owyhee River. There's, there's only so many pull-offs and holes that you can actually get to and there's a line of people just waiting for the next guy to get pissed off and get done. And, uh, you know, so, but everybody wants that monster brown. I don't think I've ever been on a pickier body of water in my life. I, I had matched the color like I'll do, nothing, you know, and so I got down and I'm studying midges close and we were down to a size 18 midge. Wow, that's Pitch. small. I've tried tying those, forget it, if I got to go that small, I That's like it. microscopic. It's tiny. That's tiny. And then I started hitting them, you know, which is a lot of fun, you know, when you're pulling in a 20 plus inch fish on a, on a size 18 and fishing was good for about a half hour and it shut off just like that and I thought, now what i still see midges out but they look like they got a little smaller so i dug through my box and i had two size 20s so i put on a 20 and started getting hits again wow so there are times when you absolutely have to match the hatch perfect sure most of the time especially if you're a beginner i say you know Look at the colors, get the colors, and approximate the size, and you'll probably be in the game. You can be up or down a size on a lot of streams, and you'll still do just fine. Yeah. I remember one time I was fishing the big hole, and San Juan worms were hitting, and then they threw out, like, purple haze, and they said it was the purple haze and the size 12. So I picked some of those up, but I, I must have got them mixed up because I think I was using a little bit bigger. I think I was using, like, a size 8 or a size 10. Nothing. Mm -hmm. There's guys over there using purple haze at size 12, hammering fish at a size 12. Everything else at a size 8, at a size 14, nothing. No bumps. So I agree. I mean, there are times where you have to line it up perfectly. And when they say, this is the fly, yep. this is the one, this is the size, you better buy it and you better try it. Because yep. if you think, okay, that one's all out, but I'm going to grab four of these that are one size smaller and four of these that are one size bigger and think it's going to work, I've had some experiences where that was not the case. Yep. Specifically on the big hole, but and so and so back to your point about the machine type, you know, the the dozen flies for five bucks, or you know, well, this is the same pattern and they're a dollar a piece. It's on that water that that makes a difference. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, versus you know? the versus the commercially tied ones. Exactly. There and it's amazing the fish can see those different the differences and the inconsistencies in those flies. Right. Yeah, and I there's a fly shop in Butte. A good a buddy of mine um, runs that shop, and he actually doesn't tie, but um, 
they guide on the big hole and they guide on the beaver head as well. And uh, he only carries premium ties in there. And there's a guy in Butte that, that ties him for him. And, uh, you know, the guys that go in there and buy flies are the guys that are out there catching fish, right? Yep. Bob Wards is right across the street and they've got the five bucks for a dozen deal. And there's a lot of people in there. But um, when you go into his shop, um, you know, it's three to five bucks a fly. Mm-hmm. But it's people that are serious about it and yeah. truly understand um, hatches and entomology and the stages of the bug, when, at what time. And uh, those are the guys that catch the fish, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yep. Okay, so that was kind of my closing comment. Um, Mike, anything for the listeners to take away? I know we've talked about a lot today, but if there was anything that um, you could tell the listeners either around you know, fly tying or maybe some of that just little bit of advice around fly fishing. Is there anything out there that the listeners uh, may want to hear? You know, I don't, I don't really have anything to add other than just get out there and do it. You know, if, if you're interested in tying and you've never tied before, you know, and you're, you're not sure where to start, get your feet wet. It's like we talked, get on YouTube, watch some of these guys get inspired. I mean, there's some amazing people out there. Yeah. You know, take a class or two. Uh, I know at the local Orvis shop here in Boise, uh, years ago, they only carried hand-tied flies, and they were tied by two widows over in Ontario, Oregon, about 70 miles away. They had nothing else to do but talk to each other and tie flies. You know, so, I mean, you don't you don't necessarily even have to be a fisherman to tie the flies. You know, I mean, the, like we've talked about, Lucas has alluded to earlier, you know, you said it's, it's an art form. It is. It absolutely you know, is. Just get out there and do it. Yep. Yep. Okay. So with that, Mike, um, just maybe tell the listeners how they can get a hold of you. Let's say someone listens to the podcast, they live in Boise and they say, man, I want to learn how to do this, or maybe I want to get some insight. How could someone get a hold of you? Yeah. You can just, uh, reach me by email. Um, just my personal email, uh, mikehicks at yahoo.com. Okay, and that's H-I-X? H-I-X, correct. Com. Okay, yep. yeah, and then we'll post that uh, in the meeting notes as well. So um, we'll put some information out there. So if any of the listeners today want to get a hold of you, I know you're not huge on social media. I know you've kind of got that out there, but you're <laughs> kind of you're kind of anti-social media. But if you were to want to get a hold of Mike, I think he is on social media. Yeah, but I do have it. I might not check it for a few weeks, but I will get back to you. Yeah. So <laughs> so anyway, Mike Mike is available, and we, and we can get a hold of him online. But I, I do want to thank you for coming on today. My um, pleasure. Clearly a lot of insight and knowledge uh, in your head around you know tying and fly fishing and I think it's something, like I said, it, it's almost a lost art form. I just, I, you don't see many people today doing that. And it's funny when you tell me you go to the, the expos, it's probably just a bunch of people like you in the same room interested about all the same things. You know, there's not, it, it's getting to the point that I'm just about the youngest guy there now. I mean, there really isn't a lot of interest. You'll see some kids that start up. My kids started and they're like that. Nah. Why should I do that when I can go buy it? I, th- I you know, too much of this uh, soundbite culture. Yeah. You know, we watch we watch three minute videos on YouTube, and that's all the more attention span people have. But yeah, it's, I mean, it's really fun and it's yeah. different. It's patient. I mean, it's obviously yeah. patience. I mean, to go and buy them versus tie them. I mean, it's it's a it's a virtue of it being a hobby, and it's obviously patience. That's what it yeah. comes down to. Oh, it's definitely mind, so. my zen. I mean, I'm a hothead, admittedly, and. This is this is my happy place. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Everyone needs that. <laughs> Everyone needs that place to go to just be mindless. And yep. it's something like you can't screw up. It's not like you're you're mixing, 
you know, powder and a bullet that, you know, if you put a double load in there, it could be a bad deal with tying a fly. Hey, you screw one up, you know, it's not the end of the world. Exactly. Your face is not going to blow up. Exactly. So (laughs) anyway, again, I want to thank Mike for coming on. Uh, We'll we'll post uh, his meeting note or his his contact information in the meeting notes. And I just want to thank everyone um, for listening to our podcast. Um, You know, happy Thanksgiving. Today's an excellent day to think about where we've all come from and, and the thought that, you know, we can give thanks to a lot of different things. Uh, and, you know, a lot of what we do today, um, you know, specific to the people that we, that we spend these, this time and adventure with. And that's really what we try to do is promote that time. So anyway, thanks everyone. Uh, and we'll see you next time. Take care. First and foremost, I want to thank everyone for listening. The RNA Outdoors podcast is produced every other week for your enjoyment, and show notes are found both on the podcast feed and our website, www.rnaoutdoors.com forward slash podcast. Feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed. We are live on Podbean and iTunes. For iOS slash Apple users, go to podcasts on your Apple device, search for RNA Outdoors, and hit the purple subscribe button. When doing this, it will automatically upload when new podcasts are loaded and they will download into your queue. When you subscribe to a podcast using the podcast app for iOS or using iTunes on your Mac or PC, you are subscribing to the podcast updates by that particular podcast producer. With iCloud, you can synchronize your podcast subscriptions across all devices. For Android users, you can access the podcast through Podbean or just use our website, again, www.rnaoutdoors.com forward slash podcast. In addition, under the RNA Outdoors podcast channel, please leave a review and a five-star rating. These reviews help boost our popularity and outreach. You can also follow us on any of our social media platforms. Twitter is at RNA Outdoors. Instagram is hashtag Rod and Arrow Outdoors. And of course, Facebook, you can search by just looking at RNA Outdoors. All links are in the show notes as well. If you like what you have heard, we hope you'll pass along our channel to your friends and colleagues. Please join us next time for another edition of the Rod and Arrow Outdoors podcast.